Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. We are in a little bit of a cold snap here in the fall in Southern Illinois. Pretty excited about it. I actually just lit my wood stove for the first time over the next three days. We have some cooler temperatures, and so I'm pretty excited to get that going. It's a new new season. I always love the changing of the seasons. I think everybody loves the end of summer going into fall, and it's just absolutely beautiful in Southern Illinois. So I'm just really enjoying this time. I hope you are as well, and I'm excited to be back today. We're going to be talking about the Catholic-Protestant divide today. What is it that divides us? I'm doing this for several reasons. Pastors, you've thought through justification and authority, and and I'm sure you've worked through these issues before, but it's always good to relook at something, reconsider something. And for those that are not pastors listening in, I want this to be a resource that's quick, concise, and to the just really, I mean, obviously to the point of what divides Catholics and Protestants still. And then also on the Gab community, what I've seen is a push for broad ecumenicism on many different endeavors that include Catholics and Protestants uniting. And I really want to highlight the differences here and plead with Catholics. I do believe that there are some Catholics that are saved because there is a real gospel, a gospel of Christ alone that saves and an imputation of righteousness that is there for anybody who's in Christ Jesus, including those that are in uh, the Catholic Church that have a false gospel and that uh, have a different understanding of authority. And I may have already offended you if you're a Catholic listening in, but I'm asking you and pleading with you to hang with me, and hopefully I can make some sense of this and really just want to highlight and show what these divides really are and and uh, and how we could possibly move forward uh, to be more biblical is what I want. And so if you are not a pastor listening in, then I hope this is a resource and a help for you to understand these differences. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and we'll get into authority and the gospel, these two primary tip of the iceberg issues. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing and, and direction in this conversation. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us in your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you f- for being for us, uh, that you've died for us. And thank you that we can know we're justified on the front end of this thing. And we don't have to wait till we die. We can have assurance of salvation right now. And I pray for those who have never considered these things or are wrestling through these things, that they would find just ju- just help right now in their, in their need, and they would see the real gospel that Uh, that can save us right now, that we can know we're saved and justified on the front end of this thing. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Authority and the gospel. That divides Protestants and Catholics to this day. Let me explain. Authority. Which regulates which? Does the scriptures regulate to the church or does the church regulate the scriptures? The Catholic answers this by way of scripture and tradition. So the Catholics believe, Catholic Church believes that that the church produced or authoritized gave authority to the scriptures. They they regulate the scriptures and they gave us the scriptures, okay? Recognize the scriptures as authority, not just recognizing the scriptures as authoritative, but they sat over the, the scriptures and gave us the scriptures. Therefore, scripture along with tradition are these parallel histories of authority that we have to appeal to, and their belief ultimately is that the church regulates the word which bumps into problems when you come up to situations within the church because there's no recoil, there's no recourse of action because the church ultimately regulates the scriptures. So for instance, if something's going on, indulgences, or when it comes to things like purgatory, or when it comes to things like praying to Mary, or when it comes to things like calling people father, or when it comes to issues of really idolatry, or when it comes to issues of we're saved by uh, by Jesus, justification is a process, not just this thing that can be known right now. 
all the issues that go on within the, the Protestant or the Catholic Church, there is no recourse of action of saying, thus saith the Lord, but the scriptures say this. Because the appeal then is to tradition and to the authority of the church. What does the church say about this particular passage? What does the church say about this particular doctrine? What does the church say about this issue? And I think there's a, a clear example of this mistake right in the Bible with Jesus and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 15 says it like this. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash, wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So what's happening with these Pharisees and scribes? They're elevating tradition and having their tradition regulate their practice rather than the word of God. Well, what was that particular tradition that was regulating their practice? Here's what it was. For God commanded, honor your father and mother. That's, that's the word of God. So that should be regulating their practice. But what instead is regulating their practice? And then he says, whoever reviles father, father and mother must surely die. But verse 5, but you say, if anyone tells your father and mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So they're, they're saying, as their parents are aging, what you would gain from me and, and what I am going to do instead of honoring you with this money, with this care that I should be giving, I'm going to give that to God. And boy, does that sound noble. No, God's my priority over my family. And this is the, the sake of their tradition. They wanted to honor the tradition and their tradition was regulating their practice. But Jesus corrects them. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You've put tradition above the scriptures. Their tradition was regulating the word. Verse 7, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men were authoritative over the word of God. They're saying, hey, what we say is authoritative, and these are doctrines that you must follow, regardless of whether or not they're in the word of God or not, regardless of whether the scriptures teach that or not. Well, Jesus shows us the priority here, and the priority is the word of God. The Catholic Church didn't give us the Bible. The history of the church reveals that they recognize the scriptures as authoritative. When God speaks, that's the authority. If God has spoken, and his words are here in the scriptures, then what he said is authoritative. And we have the obligation of submitting to that word. So the Bible teaches, not just that Protestants teach, the Bible teaches that it's the word of God that regulates the people of God. What does God have to say about it? And if God has to say something about it, it's our responsibility, regardless of what the teachings of the commandments of men or the traditions of men say, and creeds, confessions, historical uh, work of uh, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people are really, really important. But ultimately, our confessions and creeds, as we look down to the history of the church, um, in everything that we do when it comes to tradition, not that all tradition is bad, but it all has to be submitted to the Word of God. And what, what God says goes. And so we have to say, thus saith the Lord, and we have a book, God has spoken, and if God has spoken, that word is authoritative. So the truth is that the scriptures regulate the church. The church does not regulate the scriptures. And if you don't believe that, there is no recourse of action. There is no correction. You can be abused and used, and you have no way, as a typical parishioner in the Catholic Church, to come back to your local priest, to, to come to your you know, the, to the Pope, to the, a cardinal, to anybody that's in authority within the Catholic Church, you have no recourse of action to say, but here's what God's Word says. And this is the whole issue with the Protestant Reformation, is the Word did the work. Just like in the book of Acts, and the Word of God increased, and the people of God continued to grow because God's Word was doing the work. And so the, the central issue and the central divide between Catholics and Protestants remain the source of authority. What is authoritative? Does the church regulate the word or does the word regulate the church? And the scriptures teach us that the word regulates the church. Now, the second issue is in this area of the gospel of Jesus. 
Are we justified later? Is justification a process or can we be justified right now? It's the doctrine of justification. This is the classic divide, and it remains the divide today. In fact, the Catholic Church calls the gospel of Jesus what Protestants proclaim and herald, the five solas of the Reformation, uh, what we declare that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is the doctrine of justification that Jesus lived and died, and he lived a uh, vicarious life, and he died a substitutionary death, so his life he fulfilled all of the law of God, and he did that for us. That was a substitutionary life, his substitutionary death. He died in the place of real sinners, and he rose from the grave. And the scriptures teach that the, we have the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And the great truth of the scriptures that is different from any other gospel around the world, and you just measure this, every other gospel in the world says that one day you can be just justified. And this is the same thing as the Catholic Church. There's no assurance of salvation. You can't be assured that you're actually justified. And the Catholic Church teaches a progress of justification that maybe one day you'll be justified. And after death, you'll find out. If you go through the works and the rigmarole of all you're supposed to do, cooperating with the grace of God, then one day, maybe one day after death, you can find out you're justified. Friends, that is the exact same message of every single religion in the world. You're saved by grace and your own work with the Lord's help. You're saved with God helping you, and you're justified in cooperation with God. And maybe one day you'll find out that you're justified. So justification on the back end, maybe. No assurance of salvation. But what do the scriptures teach about the gospel? And the good news about the gospel of Jesus, what the scriptures declare, is that you can be justified on the front end. You can know right now that you're right with God. And all your obedience and all the good works, it's fruit of, it's in appreciation for what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. This is not some sloppy, once saved, always saved kind of thing. This is the, the, the great truth that the Christian life, that the fruit, the, the works, the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in are out of thankfulness. They're out of gratitude for what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. They're not about earning. They're about responding with thankfulness because of what Christ has done. Well, that, that sounds all great, right? Like we're saved by grace through faith, apart from works of the law, by the work of Christ alone on our behalf, and we can know right now we're justified on the front end, and we can proclaim this truth, truth and herald it, and Catholics cannot do that same thing. And if you're a Catholic listening in, you cannot proclaim justification right now because that goes against the teaching of the Catholic Church, that justification is a process. Well, what does the Word of God say? And that's what we want to go to, and this is really what we want to appeal to, is the, these central issues on authority and the gospel and I want to look at a couple things starting in the book of Galatians, okay? The book of Galatians really highlights the end of the book of, uh, excuse me, the end of chapter two really highlights the difference here. And it, it also, I think, um, can help clarify for Protestants, what, what is this thing about Christ working in you? Okay, let me just show this real quick, starting in verse nine. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. These are just monumental passages. But it highlights again the divide, which is what we're talking about here right now. Here's what uh, Catholics will say justification is. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ is living in me, and we are saved by the work of Christ in me. That's the, the whole process. The whole point is that we are justified by the work of God in us in us over a lifetime as we cooperate with God we are saved by Christ's work in me now the text says that Christ works in me the Christ who lives in me and so we have to believe absolutely Christ is working in us 
He's working in us. He's changing us. The Holy Spirit is, is transforming us from one degree to a glory, of glory to another as we're beholding the face of Christ. We're walking in obedience. We're wanting to reject the flesh and walk in the Spirit. We're denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Christ is working in me. You better believe it. Absolutely. But what is our great hope of salvation? And it's not the work of Christ in us. My hope for justification, my hope of my standing before God, is not the fact that Christ is working in me right now, although he is. But what is my great hope? Well, here's what Paul said. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ for me. Jesus actually died in my place. He purchased a people for God. Jesus actually died, not in this impotent atonement, but this atonement that was pregnant with power that actually purchased people for God. He bought me. And that was evidenced when I was five years old through repentance and faith. God did a work in me. The Holy Spirit came and applied the work of Christ on the cross to me. Jesus lived for me and he died for me. And so now there's this great hope that, that now as God looks at me, the work of Christ is seen in me and for me. Christ died for me. He purchased me. Christ for me. Now he is working in me, but we hang our hat of assurance of salvation not on the work of Christ for, um, in me, like the process of his, uh, transformation that's happening in me. My goodness, that waffles back and forth. If my assurance is, you know, my, my hat, I'm hanging my hat of assurance on Christ's work in me, I mean, depending upon the day, I mean, my assurance is going to be only as stable as my performance is, how well I'm doing cooperating with the grace of God, how great my relationship with God is today, how I'm doing today, am I confessing my sins today, all of that. All of the, all, like, so if that's where assurance is, you don't have assurance, and that's why the Catholic Church does not proclaim assurance of salvation. But the scriptures teach something else, that you can know right now you're justified. You can know right now that your sins are forgiven. The whole book of Galatians is about this. The whole book of Romans is about this, that you can be justified right now. And now I can imagine people thinking, yeah, but okay, you talked about the solas earlier, and uh, the only time the words faith alone is used is to deny salvation by faith alone. It's the book of James, Jared. Come on, I can hear my Catholic uh, friends saying, well, what about, uh, what about James? What about James and, and faith and works? And let's just go and turn there and talk about it real quick. And I'm having my notorious problem with turning the pages and talking at the same time that you've heard me talk about so much. Let's just start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save? Let's pause real quick. That faith. A faith without works. This is going to go on and describe dead faith. Can that faith save? Can dead faith save? That, that faith and dead faith are the same thing in this passage, in the book of James. So what was the contrast? The contrast is a faith that works, living faith, which is a, a, another way of just saying faith. If you don't have works, you don't have faith. You have a dead faith. You have a vain faith. You have that kind of faith. And can that faith save a faith without works? Absolutely not. What James is describing is what real faith looks like, not what fa false faith looks like. Let's go on. Can that faith save? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the needs needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have, have works, is dead. Can dead faith save? Absolutely not. Dead faith cannot save. It goes on, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
So, like, this is false faith, d- demon belief. If you have demon belief and don't have works, there's nothing to demonstrate that there's real, authentic faith there. You have the faith of demons, faith without works. You have a proper confession. You can say all you want to say. You can go on and on and on, but you don't have real faith. You believe that God is one. Even the demon believe and shudder. You, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith is active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scriptures was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And it's like case closed right there. So the Catholic says, uh, hey, look, right there, you're justified by faith, not by faith alone. But what is James doing? He's already setting this whole thing up. What James is showing is a contrast in, uh, between dead faith, faint, vain faith, and saying, if you say you have faith, but you don't have works, can you be justified? Absolutely not. Dead faith can't save. That faith cannot save. And so this is not saying that this is defining true and false faith. And this is also, and the examples of this are seen all throughout the scriptures. It's the exact same thing, for instance, through the entire book of John. And the book of John demonstrates this. You see in John chapter 2, the introduction to this. You see it also, uh, the examples of this in John chapter 6 and in John chapter 8, of those who say they believed in God, but then they walked away. They picked up stones to stone him. In John chapter 8, you see a scene where Jesus turns to those who had believed in him and starts to talk to them, address them, calls them sons of the devil, the same people who said they believed in him, and then they were picking up stones to kill him. This is false faith. Can that kind of faith, can that kind of belief save somebody? Absolutely not. John chapter 2 says it in this way. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing believed. They believed in him. That's a type of faith. They believed in his name when they saw the signs that he's doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew that it was false belief. And can that faith save? The kind of faith that says, I believe, and then later on picks up stones to stone him? Can that believe? Can that save? Absolutely not. There has to be works for it to be real, authentic faith. Living faith works. And that's what the Bible describes faith in Christ like. Faith in Christ is not some verbal thing only. It's demonstrated by a life of good works. And so the divide remains. The divide remains. It's authority and it's the gospel. And I want to plead with you, appeal to you. Don't be like those in John chapter 2. Don't be like those in the book of James. Don't believe a false gospel that says that, oh, I've got faith, I've got my creed and confession, and I'm good to go, but don't have works. But also, don't believe the false gospel that says, hey, uh, justification is a process, and you can't know today that you're saved right now. And you might say, well, Jared, show me a passage that says you can know you're saved. Well, they're all over the place, but let's just go to John. It's a classic passage. Uh, let's go to First John uh, and check this out, and then we'll wrap it up. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, you can have assurance right now. Every other religion in the world tells you that you, you, know, you can't have assurance and that maybe one day if you work hard enough, you can be saved, you can be justified. They put justification on the back end. The scriptures put justification on the front end and you can live a life right now knowing that you're right with God. You can have peace with God, repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of sinners 
and for the restoration of the cosmos to the glory of God. That is the gospel, full stop. The life, death, substitutionary, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of sinners. It's good news, friends. So that's the divide. That's why we have a divide. And when we talk about uh, Catholics and why I believe that there's some uh, justified Catholics is because we're justified by Christ, not our perfect theology. Perfect theology doesn't save. A God-given faith that's expressed in repentance and faith in Christ Jesus is what saves and it is the work of God, the work of God alone. If you have any questions or comments, please share them. And if you would subscribe, I'd love it. And leave uh, a rating or review on iTunes if you're listening on the audio. And thanks so much for continuing to come back. For more information on The Shepherd's Crook, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.